Well, good morning. Take out your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 16. In a moment, we're going to read Romans 16, verses 25 through 27. It's so good to see everybody after the holidays. I'm glad, I'm always glad on the Sunday after Thanksgiving that some of you stayed in town. And, uh, and so it's always, uh, it's always fun to see who stayed in town and uh, a great opportunity just to gather together after a busy, enjoyable week, I hope for many of you, uh, and just worship the Lord and get focused on what he has to say for, to us this morning. Um, Romans 16, this is our last Sunday in the book of Romans. Next week we'll be starting a Christmas series and we'll be starting in John chapter 1. Studying through John chapter 1 in the series Light of the World. I would encourage you to make plans to be with, be with us all throughout the Christmas season. We've got some great things planned including a Christmas Eve service here at uh, Potomac Shores Elementary School and uh, really excited about our Christmas Eve service. Um, so we're going to be looking at John chapter 1, start next week, but we've been on a year and a half journey through the book of Romans, and today is the last Sunday. I'm going to read these words and help us reflect on what God has been saying to us throughout this series. It says in verse 25, now to him, that's God, who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations. According to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, we ask that as we consider these words that you would turn our attention to you. Lord, I pray that in the ways that we have had our attention and focus on our circumstances, our own weakness, the many things that we have as responsibilities, concerns, and fears. Lord, that somehow today by Reading your word, we would have our attention drawn to you. Lord, we've gathered here today because we know that we need our attention drawn to you. To be reminded of your calming voice, of your abundant promises. Lord, would you speak to us now? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as most of you know, I have four daughters. And, uh, it, you know, it's really a great life, to be honest, to be in the dad in the house with four daughters and a wife. I wouldn't have it any other way, and I give thanks to God for the opportunity to live cross-culturally, right, in my own home. <laughs> you know, it's a strange and foreign land at times for a sports-loving, outdoor-adventure-craving cra male. And it's never more apparent, the cross-cultural living than it is at Christmas time when almost at all hours of the day they want to watch Hallmark Christmas movies. I mean anybody we got some fans that are willing to admit it in here. Christmas is the time for Hallmark Christmas rom-coms. So we're decorating the tree, Christmas tree last night 
and in our house, and they, of course, wanted one of these types of movies playing in the background. You know, they all have a prince from some land that doesn't exist who has to be won over or tamed by the sweet young girl that is the center of attention in the film. She usually has, a t- has just terrible first world problems to overcome. You know, like a practical job and stuff. And we get to celebrate her victory at the end and she becomes a princess and still keeps her career and it's really quite inspiring, you know. If you watch the movies though, you know who it's going to be about right from the very beginning, as soon as you start, because the camera focuses the attention on this character from the get-go. This is how these movies, they get set up, you know, it's all focused on this particular character right off the bat. We were 20 seconds in and I said, that's it, that's her, this is who the movie's about. And you can see it. And, you know, in a lot of ways, you can pick up on where it's going to go. Sure, you're meeting the other characters that will make the movie interesting, but all the focus is on the circumstances of this main character, and you don't have to work very hard to figure out who that main character is. And because we love a good story, and sometimes even a bad story, apparently, with the popularity of these movies, we're quickly absorbed in the details of the life of whoever this main character is as the focus of the camera draws our attention to them. Well, we do the same thing in our own lives, in our circumstances. You see, most of the time, our, our attention's are drawn entirely to us. Our circumstances, our particular story, the challenges that we're facing, the things that we really want. You know, in, the, in, in our minds, in the Hallmark Christmas movie that's going on inside our heads, the camera is always focused on us and what's going on. You know, we're like our main characters and we mostly tell ourselves stories about our experiences from our own point of view, from which we see everything else that's going on in our lives. And we're so powerfully absorbed in our own story that we come to think that we are the main character. That's what happens. Until we come across a passage like the end of Romans, like this one, where Paul reminds us that all of this focus on us will surely cause us to miss the point of what's going on. And really, it will be no help to us at all in navigating life if we focus our, our, the attention on ourselves. Because the story isn't about us, and if we are going to have any hope in understanding our lives, we must shift the focus of our attention. We must turn the camera on the one who it is about, who then can unlock the meaning of our own lives, the purpose for which we exist. We need our attention shifted, or else we make life about us and not about God. And so I want to ask you a question today. Where is your attention? Like, where is your attention? As you think about even, maybe you're here, so you've got some interest in spiritual things. As you think about what it means for you to live a life that matters and and what it looks like to, to live a life of obedience to God or spiritual life, where is your attention? Are you fixated on your own weaknesses? 
your own failures, the things primarily that you want, where's your attention? If things are going to go well, who does it count on? Who do you look to? The answer to the question matters for at least two reasons. Because first, we can be overwhelmed by the presence of sin in the world around us. You know, maybe your attention today is just on how bad things are out there. How difficult the circumstances that surround you are. Maybe those are personal circumstances in your own life that are just overcoming you right now. And all of the focus is on that. But the second reason is because we can become overwhelmed by the presence of sin that remains in us. Maybe, maybe all of your attention is on this sort of self-improvement. I've got to make myself better. I've got to finally get it together. Feel pessimistic about whether there's any chance you'll do that. Think about your past week or your failures or your weaknesses. And and listen, because our eyes and attention are often drawn to what is going on in the world around us, or what is going on in the world within us, Paul ends the book of Romans the way he often does, with a a benediction that is like a doxology. And, and, And a benediction really, in the end, takes all of what's been said and turns the attention on God. It says, with everything that's been said, What we really need is for God to do this in us. (laughs) And so it's like a prayer of hope that says, for all that we want, for all that we could pursue, the only real hope of it being born in us, produced in us, of us making progress, of of overcoming our circumstances, lies in whether God is for us. (laughs) And whether there's a God who can presently work in us to bring about what he desires. And if we'll put our attention on that, we will come to discover what we need to do in the, presence, in, in the present in our own lives. Did you see how he ends? Verse 25, he see, and right off the bat he says, Now to him. Is attention drawing? You know, there's been lots of instruction throughout the book of Romans. Do this. Live this way. Build this kind of life. Build this kind of church. Handle your circumstances. Trust in this. But, but, but what he says right here is he said, don't get caught up in thinking it's you that's going to produce it. Because the gospel is the good news of what God does for us, not the good news of what we can do for him. And so he says, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. He says, now what we need to do is get our eyes up off of ourselves and we need to think about him. And I just wonder how much we, do we do that? Like how much time do we spend bringing our attention on God? You know, I could say a lot of things today that are pragmatic or practical. But the most important thing I could say today to you is that your life will be impacted most by your ability to give God your attention. Your attention. Because when everything else is going on that 
wants to have your focus, your camera, your lens. God is the only one who can really do the things we need, the things we need most. So where's your attention today? You see, as Paul ends the book of Romans, he still wants to reinforce one thing. He's aiming to produce in all of us what he calls the obedience of faith. A particular type of obedience. You know, obviously we come into church, we think, oh yeah, it's going to be about obeying God. But you know, there's, there's a way of pursuing, pursuing obedience to God that is all about us. It's all about our ability to be disciplined and produce something. And then there's what Paul is after, the obedience of faith, which is really all about God. It's about what God can do to bring you into conformity to his will with joy, where you trust him. It's a kind of obedience that says, God is good and I believe him and I'm going to do what he asks no matter what it takes because, because that is it's trustworthy. It will be there in the end and, and it's a joy to pursue it. And then there's the drudgery of disciplined obedience where you think God is there to crush your hopes and dreams. Those are two way different things. But here he invites us, he says, he wants to see the obedience of faith, of, of trust in God. And, and he's aiming to produce this. That's been his goal all along. I want, I want you to show that. Hopefully it's on the screen. But if you go all the way back to the beginning of the book, Romans chapter 1, verse 5, Paul tells us why he wrote this book. He says, he says that he's an apostle who is proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ through whom we have received grace that's the undeserved gift of a relationship with God is available to you today. And for Paul, apostleship being sent to proclaim this so that what would happen? To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. The gospel is about creating a new kind of obedience in people that is not based on our own ability, not based on our own performance, but is produced by God as we learn to trust him as our good shepherd. It's an obedience of faith, of a repaired relationship to God, where we believe him, and we believe he's got our best in mind, and so we entrust our lives to him, and that obedience flows out of that trust. Now he says that in verse, verse 5, the very beginning of the book, and then he says it here, Romans 16, verse 26, but it this gospel has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings. It's been made known to all the nations according to the command of the eternal God. What is that command? The command to bring about the obedience of faith. There it is again. So everything that's happened all the way throughout the book of Romans has been to repair our understanding of who God is, of what he does for us, how we can be transformed and changed so that we will, we will come to him and through faith have a new kind of obedience. That's what he's been after all along. The obedience of faith. It's a simple idea. I want to try to make it clear, and then we're going to see how he brings it into play in the passage. The obedience of faith is a simple idea, and it's the way in which Paul talks about the life of a Christian. This is the Christian life. It's an obedience of faith. The obedience of faith is the sort of action and devotion, there's the obedience toward God, that comes from a change of belief toward God. And relies on his power, purpose, and wisdom. The obedience of faith. It's called obedience because it puts us in line with God's instruction. Which we find ourselves often in conflict with. 
in our own desires, we believe we can give us ourselves a better life, a better hope than God can. That's the essence of sin. But here it's called obedience because it puts us back in line with God's instruction. And then it's tied to faith because it only, the kind of obedience God calls for in our lives only makes sense if we believe God and it points all the attention and focus to him. You see, there's a sort of obedience that God calls us to live out that only makes sense if he's really there, if if he's who he said he is, if sin is as bad as it is, and the hope of Jesus Christ is as good as he promises. Then there's an obedience that we live out that only makes sense when that is true. You see, it won't make sense to your instincts at times, your intuitions, the wisdom of your extended family, the wisdom of those who live around you. You see, it's an obedience of faith that only makes sense when we can center our attention on God. The saving work of God, we are told, is based on faith in the book of Romans. So it's seen To come from grace. He says it's based on faith because we don't save ourselves. You can't do anything to rescue yourselves from the sin that has wrecked your life. There's nothing you can do to fix yourself. Even your best efforts to fix yourself will really just create more problems. And see, what the Bible tells us is that the only way that we get put back together, the only way we're healed from the effect of sin in our life, and the only way we have hope uh, in the day when God will judge the world for its sin is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That Jesus' death on the cross paid for our sins and guaranteed that as we unite to him by faith, we are treated like family in the gospel of God and we are received around God's table, promised eternity and secured forever by God's keeping hand and not our own. That's the good news. Today, you can be saved because of no works of your own, but simply by turning to Jesus Christ by faith. This is free. (laughs) Like literally free. That's what grace means. It's not only free, it's undeserved. It's contrary to what we actually have earned through sin. So simply put, that means we are saved from the presence and effect of our sins by believing that God loves us and sent a Savior in Christ. So that we will give glory to God for our salvation and not believe it was from ourselves. Some of what God may be doing in your life is bringing you to the point where you'll believe that the only hope that you have is in entrusting your life to God. Some of you see circumstances in your life and you're not sure what God's trying to do through those. For some of us, it's about humility. So we'll be separated from hoping in ourselves. And we'll come to put our hope in the only place that can really fulfill it. And so we see this going on. God wants to be glorified. It's grace. It's unearned favor. Which tells us that God is good even when we are not. Think about what it means for our ongoing obedience. We obey, he says, as a result of believing God. And it's to his credit, not ours. 
We are given the example of a life like that in chapter 4 of Romans where Abraham believed God's promise to him and it was credited to him as righteousness, it says. And because of that genuine faith in God, Abraham's life took on a new shape and purpose going forward. Throughout the rest of the points that we'll make today, I'm going to use Abraham's life as an example of what it looks like to develop and grow the obedience of faith as we reflect on Paul's last words to the Romans in this doxology. And the first thing we see in this doxology about the obedience of faith is that the obedience of faith focuses on God's work to establish us. It focuses on God's work to establish us. What does this look like? It says right there in the first line, look at the text with me, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. The first thing Paul says when he turns our attention to God and away from our own strength is, is that God is the one who is able to strengthen you. God is the one who is able to strengthen you. I want us to focus for a moment on two words that are important here because we hear that and, and you know, it's just like it just rolls right across us. But God is able to strengthen us. There are two words here that really bring this to life. God has something for us here that you may have overlooked. You see, when it says he is able, if you underline in your Bible, you might want to underline that word able. It uses the Greek word dunamis, which means power. It means God has the power. Yes, it is true that dunamis is where we get the word dynamite from. So if, if it helps you wrap your head around what Paul says we have at work in us through the gospel of Jesus Christ, it, it's, it's a dynamite power. There's a dynamite power in the gospel of Jesus. That, that when we come, the, the, what we learned in the book of Romans is that when we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we come to God and we say, God, I know I'm a sinner and I know I can't save myself, but today I'm trusting you and I'm asking you to come into my life and save me. We were told that when you call on the Lord, he answers you and he fills you with the Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit has power. Now here it's sort of like a, seen as a dynamite power, but dynamite has, has power has the power to blow things up, and God has the power to put them together in a way that brings genuine health and healing and strength and resolve for the future in your life. And right now, I wonder if you believe that God has power to work in your life. In Romans, the gospel story tells us about the power of God. I mean, I wonder if you trust his power right now for what you're facing. The gospel tells us about the power of God. It begins with a promise to Abraham that in a fallen and broken world full of sin, God is going to send a savior. He's going to send it through Abraham's children's lineage, Abraham's seed. But there's one problem. Abraham can't have children. At least it doesn't seem. And he didn't have any at the time when God made the promise. He and his wife, it says, are past the age of childbearing. As far as having kids, they're dead and gone. But God has power. That's what the story is about. God has power. I mean, I, I wonder if you believe that God has power better than dynamite. Abraham believes in that power because it's God that has promised. 
And, and, you know, Abraham ends up having a son because God has the power to do what God has promised. And God always has the power to deliver on what he promises. You know, even when Abraham believed, it took a while to believe that it was up to God and not him. We see Abraham hearing the promise that God is going to do this, and then Abraham goes out and tries to make it happen on his own. And so often we do that. You know, we're, we're like, you know, I'm going to get my life together. I'm going to straighten it out. But, but the truth is, Abraham couldn't, couldn't deliver what God had promised because he needed to wait on God for it. Because only God has the power to create what God desires and promises. You know, even when Abraham believed, it, it took a while. So, so what does all this mean for us? Well, this power is not just for Abraham, but we see that God sent the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ, born from Abraham's line, just as God promised, but sent from heaven as the Son of God. The disciples saw the power of Jesus. They walked with the power of Jesus. He lived a sinless life with power over sin and offered himself up on the cross for our sin. You see, sin had power. Sin had power to put Jesus in the grave just like it has power to destroy you. Sin had power. It had the power to put things to death that God had made alive. And many of us know the power of sin. But what sin put to death in Christ, God showed that he had exceeding power to make alive. And after Jesus had laid down his life for our sin, God made him alive through the resurrection because God has power. And I wonder when you, see, when you hear, now to him who is able, if you believe that God has power for you today. Because that's what Paul wants you to trust in the power of God. Now the good news is not only that God has power, but by that power, He promises actually to do something. God is able in this passage, able to do what, you might ask? Well, it says He's able to strengthen you for the obedience of faith. You see, God doesn't just have power to raise Jesus from the dead so we can have a far-off promise, but God, right now, stands presently able. He has the power to do something in you. He has the power to strengthen you for a genuine obedience of faith that is lifelong, enduring into eternity. And some of you who are struggling with the sin that is, is raging within you wonder today whether God has power to strengthen you. And what Paul says, the good news is that he does. The good news is that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is able to be at work in us by the presence of the Holy Spirit of God so that you can be strengthened, he says. Strengthened. The word strengthen here is the word sterizo in Greek. It's the root of our English word strengthen and our English word steroids. Yeah. You see where I'm going with this, don't you? Some of you are already there. You know, that helps me wrap my head around what Paul finds significant here. Some of us look at our lives, at our circumstances, and say, how could God make me strong enough? Like, 
How could God make me strong enough to overcome this thing in my life that has had me in its grips? How could God make me strong enough to face the circumstances that I have right now? How could God make me strong enough to be able to stand up to the currents of the culture around me, the pressures that I feel to fit in? Well, steroids can make anyone strong. And God has power to make weak things strong that is far better than steroids. You see, what God does is He makes weak things strong. That's His business. You see, God's power doesn't have any side effects. It won't damage you. But it reminds us that God is able to strengthen even the weakest of people when they look to Him in faith. Because he has power. In fact, God delights in showing his power in weakness. He doesn't choose the strong things of the world in which to display his power. And as long as we want to convince everyone we are strong, as long as we're out to prove that we have what it takes, as long as we want to show that we are the ones with strength, we will not experience God's power. But the moment we are willing to admit that we are weak, the moment we are willing to confess our sin, the moment we are willing to call on God and say, I don't have strength, then God comes with His power. He's able to get glory by His grace where you have been weak because His power is able to strengthen you no matter even if you are spiritually dead. And some of you, i got to believe, in a room this size feel spiritually dead. And I wonder, where's your attention? And do you believe God has power today to renew you? To give you a living hope. To make you alive. Well, Paul says the good news that he's been preaching is that God has exactly that. That he is the one we can look to and find that he is able to strengthen us. That's Paul's message. <laughs> that's, that's Paul's message in a nutshell. The good news is that God, because of Christ and the work that he can do in us, is able to strengthen you. That's really good news. He's able to strengthen you in anything you face for the obedience of faith, for you to remain steadfast, to walk with Him, to overcome sin, to deal with the trial, to wait patiently on His provision. He's able to strengthen you. See, when you tell yourself that story that you have to give in again, He is able to strengthen you. When it feels like you don't have any hope, He's able to strengthen you. When you think turning around won't make a difference in that relationship, when you think obeying won't create something new, enduring won't matter, He's able to strengthen you. Because He has power. 
So here's the question for you today. In, in, in what unique way does God want to display his power in you right now? In what unique way does God want to display his power in you right now? Every one of us have different circumstances, different things we're facing, and God wants to display his power in our weakness. And have you turned your attention to him to invite him who is able to strengthen you to do his work? Or have you given up? Or have you convinced yourself you're enough? What would God get most glory from doing in your life? It's most likely associated with experiencing his strength in something that seems impossible to you right now. The obedience of faith works by turning our eyes to trust the power of God that is able, that raised Jesus from the dead to work in us and make us strong. It's his work we look to and his work we need. Ask him today to fulfill the impossible in you in accordance with his gospel and his promise to strengthen you. That's the first thing we see in this passage. That the obedience of faith focuses us on God's power to do what's needed. The second thing we see is that the obedience of faith focuses on God's plan to fulfill his word. The next thing I want you to see that Paul focuses us on about God in this doxology is his commitment to his plan and purposes over the ages. I don't have time to show it all, but in Romans, God's plan has always been to work through the children of Abraham to bring salvation to the nations through Jesus. Look at the text. Here's how Paul describes God's plan of salvation and Jesus Christ for all the nations. He says three things about it. I want to show you real quick. First, he says it was a mystery. Middle of 20, verse 25, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. You know, sometimes we just don't have enough a sense of the mystery of God that he's a storyteller. He's got a plan and purpose for how he reveals what he's up to. But the Bible uses the term mystery to say that God doesn't always tell us how he's going to work out his plan before he asks us to trust him. More often than not, we don't know how he's going to do it. That's what mystery means. It's not yet revealed. Mystery. And here he says that this is a mystery. That God's purpose of salvation was a mystery. Theologically, a mystery is the plan and purpose of God before it's been fully manifest. It was always there in seed form. From the moment God called Abraham, he said that through Abraham and his descendants, he would bless all the nations. Now you can imagine, close to 4,000 years ago, Abraham receiving a promise that through you, just random guy in Ur of the Chaldees, I'm going to bless all the nations and I'm going to rescue them from the results of their sin. Now I think it's just a miracle that you know the name Abraham today, 4,000 years later. That should be convincing to you in some manner that God was at work doing something unique. But 4,000 years later, we know a guy that God called out of nowhere. And God said, I'm going to bless all the nations through you, particularly through one I'm going to send through you. But you see exactly how it wasn't seen. And even at times, the whole promise seems shaky and in jeopardy. The story of the Old Testament is how shaky the circumstances made God's promises look. You see, the circumstances made God's promise look like they were in threat. 
but God is able. And God was working out his plan. You know, God did not promise Abraham that he would do something good as long as Abraham was good. In fact, we watch Abraham fail over and over, but the promise wasn't dependent on Abraham. You can't always see where God's plan is going, but you follow God's plan by faith in his word. And so it's an obedience that comes by faith, by trusting that God's word is sure. So we see it was a mystery. We see the second thing is that this, this plan was disclosed through the prophets. Now what was that plan? The plan to bless all the nations through Abraham's seed, through a son that would come through Abraham. Well, we got more details in the prophets in the Old Testament. All throughout the prophets, we have this continued promise that Israel's Messiah would bring the nations to hope in God's salvation. Isaiah chapter 6. says of the Messiah that chapter 60 says of the Messiah that would come. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the nations will come to your light. Often during this season, we read these very promises from the prophets about Jesus coming and being a light to the nations, a light to the Gentiles. It wasn't just that he would be born a hope for the Jews, but also a light to the nations. They would come and experience the blessing of God because he had sent his son, the Messiah. You don't always get the details of how God's salvation will work out, but you follow by faith in his word. But Paul says something else here. He doesn't just say it was, it was a mystery yet to be revealed. He doesn't just say it was foreshadowed in the prophets. He said that now it has been made known. It's been manifest. The coming of Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of God's word to Abraham to send a Savior, not just for the Jewish people, but all nations to trust in. There is no longer a mystery to be revealed. There's a Savior who has come, lived the life we could not live, died a death in our place that we rightfully deserved, and rose from the grave with our victory in His hand. And in the cross, we see that truly God can work all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purposes. And that means that we can walk by faith in the plans and promises of God. It's been made known. So what's all that mean for us? Well, it means that we live out the obedience of faith because God has not only promised his salvation in his word, but he kept his promise when he sent Jesus Christ. That means that we can trust the fullness of his word in every way, especially in the ways that we struggle to trust him in our circumstances right now. So what about your circumstances today is calling on you to trust God's word and walk in the obedience of faith. I wonder what circumstances in your life are calling you to walk by faith in the Word of God. In His promises, His provision, His satisfaction. What about your life right now? Your circumstances today is calling on you to trust God's Word and walk in the obedience of faith. It won't be easy. You may not know how God will work out His plan. You may not get the details. But instead of making it happen on your own, maybe you need to simply obey His word while you wait. Maybe that thing that you're 
and you so desire to see change in your circumstances, isn't going to yet. And God's asking you to walk in obedience anyway, to find your satisfaction in him, to trust him while you wait for him to deliver good on his promises. This is what the obedience of faith looks like. Because ultimately the third thing we see in this passage is that the obedience of faith focuses on God's exceeding wisdom. A wisdom that's not like ours. It's a wisdom that exceeds us, that exceeds our ability to comprehend and come to the conclusion ourselves. We, so we see the obedience of faith focuses on God's exceeding wisdom. We are called to the obedience of faith because God is the only one who can truly be wise. Look how he ends it. He says, now to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. The Friday night before Thanksgiving week, one of my daughters hit a deer with my beloved Kia Soul. There's lots of jokes to be had about a Kia Soul that dies, especially if it's a pastor's soul. You can think of them. But my Kia Soul is dead. It's been totaled out. Because of a massive deer, it was not my daughter's fault. It ran smack into the side of the car in a, in a crazed stupor. Well, it just so happened that all of the girls were in that car. All of them. It's not a very big car. You know, you can hardly fit everybody in that thing. And Moses Clifton, who's not here today, but still getting a mention. So you got to imagine, I mean, all five seats are taken up. You know, my oldest girl is driving, and they have this big deer accident. Now, thankfully, everyone was generally speaking okay immediately. So the only injuries were really incurred by the deer itself and my soul, my Kia soul. And a little of my soul. <laughs> but when I was uh, on the way over to the scene of the accident, you have all of these thoughts as a parent. If you're a parent, you know this. If I had only known, I wouldn't have sent her to pick up the girls. And maybe I could have somehow, we could have somehow avoided it. If I had only known, I would have sent her in the van because the little car is dangerous and likely to incur more damage. If I had only known... I wouldn't have let the other girls go along. We would, you know, you just, this is what you do, right? You go, if I had only known. Annie asked me, well, would, would have you sent the van? Because the van probably would have survived. <laughs> you know, I don't want to go buy a new car at Christmas time, although I do want to have it delivered to my driveway with a red bow on it like the commercials, <laughs> right? I've always thought, who, who does that? Well, this year, it's going to be me. <laughs> but it won't be Alexis, I promise. I mean, it's not going to be Alexis. It's going to be another key of soul, more than likely. Now, we would love to know in every way in which a decision is going to be played out, wouldn't we? I mean, that's, that's what we do. We, we want to we be able to see every circumstance in the future. But we see here that Paul describes God in a really unique way as the only wise God. The God who is the only one that is wise. What does Paul mean by that? It's a funny bit of wordsmithing in my mind. But his point is that God alone is positioned 
to be wise. You see, wisdom is not just knowledge and knowing things. It's knowledge applied to circumstances with skill in every way. You see, when we are wise, we know more and more about how things usually play out, and we make decisions in each individual circumstances that are in line with the best prediction of what is likely to happen. That's what wisdom does. It says, what's likely to happen that I know and I can predict I'm going to make the best decision because, because wisdom is circumstantial. It has to do with taking knowledge and right understanding and applying it to circumstances. Um, the problem is, like the Friday night with a deer, we don't have much of a chance of predicting what might be coming. Therefore, our wisdom is so extremely limited that it can hardly be called wisdom when compared with God's exhaustive knowledge of everything that is happening, and therefore God alone is wise. God alone has wisdom about the future. God alone understands what is coming. God alone can guide us and lead us. There's only one who can see where things are headed far down the road. There's only one who knows what you will really need. And that only wise God holds us into his purposes with his wise instruction. The way that God brings his wisdom to bear in our life is by asking us to obey by faith as he has given us instruction because that obedience best positions us for God's future. You see, God is the only wise God. That means we need to have our understanding of, of His instruction transformed to see that it's the instruction of an eternally wise God who is calling us to an obedience of faith. This is the way, even though it may not look like it to you right now, this is what matters even though you think a bunch of other things are important. Obey by faith because it's the only wise God that's your shepherd that is leading you. Now why does that matter? Well, it matters because some of you are in the middle of decisions in your life and you've not even considered the clear instruction and perspective of God's word. There are times when God's word is purposed to hem us in and protect us from our lack of wisdom. You might be in a circumstance right now where you would say, God's way, God's instruction, God's path doesn't work here. And Paul would say, trust and turn your attention to the only wise God. Everything that you are trying to convince yourself that is wisdom that runs counter God's word will be shown to be foolishness. And he's inviting us here to an obedience of faith that says, you know, despite whether it seems practical or pragmatic or helpful in this circumstances, God's ways are always good. And all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his promise. And you have a reason to trust him today because God is eternally wise. He's eternally good. And he not only is seeking to glorify himself, he wants to glorify himself so that you will trust him and obey by faith more and more each day. The only hope we have is the obedience of faith that hears the instruction of God through the voice of the wisdom of God and trusts him over everything else. 
And we're here today because the only wise God has not left himself mysteriously hidden, nor has he left us without instruction. He came and took on flesh to make his wisdom visible. And what looked like failure before the world as Jesus died on the cross was seen as the wisdom of God when he was raised in power. The only wise God invites you to trust him today by faith and entrust the circumstances of your life to his wise guidance moment by moment. So where is your attention today? Have you, in the midst of this season of figuring out your circumstances, of a big decision in your life, of fighting a battle against sin and temptation, have you turned your attention to God, to believe in His power, to trust in His purposes, to walk in His wisdom? while you wait for his salvation. You see, this is the obedience of faith that he calls us to. Whether you need to begin that step of faith today and for the first time put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ or you need to continue to walk in it, I trust that as you hear these words and you turn your attention to God, he can meet you right where you're at and speak into those circumstances, that situation in your life as you bring it before him. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your word, Lord. I pray for the person here today who's never put their faith and trust in you. Lord, I pray right now you would be stirring them to respond, Lord, that they would say to you, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. That they would call on you, say, Lord, rescue me from my sin. Give me a new relationship with you. Make me alive towards you. Fill me with your spirit. Thank you for sending Jesus to the cross to save and rescue me. Today I put my trust in you. And Lord, I pray that you would hear their cry and transform their life. Lord, I pray for the person here today who's got a difficult decision to make and is tempted to trust their own impulses, their own intuition, their own wisdom, contrary to the clear instruction of your word. I pray, God, that you would speak to them. You would rescue them. Lord, you are the wise God who knows what they would want 20 years from now, 30 years from now. If they had the wisdom of seeing things play out. Lord, I pray that they would trust you today. Lord, that you would be exalted. And Lord, for the person who right now is in the midst of being faithful to you and the circumstances look challenging they're not sure whether it's worth it they can't see the unfolding of your plan lord would you remind them lord that your ways are perfect and good and so is your timing and give them hope today to trust in you we pray for this in jesus name amen